is Sportsnet Today with Aaron Vickers and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. to be here yeah great real great team we got here liked working for the producers who were quiet uh, <laughs> now did those producers have fully functioning automobiles <laughs> i believe they did oh, okay <laughs> that's not even the boo earns one come on why do i keep getting lumped in with cam's misfortunes wow, <laughs> that's fair boo earns boo earns I think that's the longest running gag on the show because his car's been in the shop for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty good. I feel like if I now that I know about it, it must mean that it's been going on for a little bit. I don't get lumped in on these things till like the very end, so I, I feel happy to be a part of it now. It's on and off, like the car. Ah, uh, welcome, everyone. This is Sportsnet Today and the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Ask how a restricted key system can keep your business safe, even through employee turnover. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. And in said Sports Drive, we will be joined in a matter of moments by Tony Ferrari as well as Julian McKenzie. He's a little bit later um, as we get into some hockey talk here coming up. Uh, training camp's going to be here before we know it. And we got a whole lot of things to get to between now and then. But uh, there's hockey on right now. Live with the, hockey. Live hockey. Real live hockey going on right now with the uh, the Holinka Gretzky going on. And it's this feels like the, the real kickoff, certainly to the scouting season anyway. 100% it is. It is the first event for the 2024 NHL draft class coming to you live from Slovakia and Czechia. I mean, some games you got to get up a little early for. But hey, hockey season is back, at least for the next couple of days. Yes. What else could you ask for but getting a sneak peek at maybe some potential future Calgary Flames participating in this tournament? Yeah. I would assume at least one in there. I mean, I think that's a safe ballpark. Odds are, probably be a bit of a rough go if they didn't get anyone from the tournament. That would be... That would be a little bit rough. So, uh, yeah, we will <laughs> we'll see potentially some future flames. But uh, talk about future flames and potential future flames. That made sense. Trust me. As we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat with Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News. Tony, thank you for doing this today. Really appreciate it. How are you? Not too bad. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Uh, we were just talking about the, the Holinka Gretzky that's on right now. Uh, some of those games are on at stupid o'clock. Um, has the, the sleep schedule been messed with a little bit trying to follow this tournament? Uh, not too bad for me. It's, uh, 9.30 and 1 a.m. for me, or 1 p.m., sorry. Uh, so it's not too, too bad. It's, uh, it's worse when it's uh, usually like 5 a.m. or something like that when they have four or five games a day. Thankfully, this is a small tournament, though. Yeah, Tony has the benefit of being in the Eastern time zone, not oh, like yeah. us mountain timers where it's 7.30 a.m. and 11 a.m., but that just sets up your morning so well for scouting. Tony, we're into sort of the elimination, the knockout round. I'm just curious your overall impressions, what you've seen through the first three games for each team. What stands out to you from a team perspective with how this tournament's unfolded with some very wacky scores? Uh, it's been a sloppy tournament. Uh, I'd like to say one team is really stood out above the rest, but every team seems to have had at least one game where they've been 
absolutely terrible. It's I mean, Canada in that first game looked completely overmatched, and then they came out and won both their next two games pretty handily. The U.S. did the same thing, lost their first game, and then won their next two pretty easily. It's been a weird tournament because Slovakia hasn't really been that good, to be honest. They don't have a really strong 2006 birth year, so it's a lot of guys from, from 2007 birth year and, and stuff like that where a lot of these other teams, they just don't have the talent. And I think it doesn't help that uh, Macklin Celebrini, Aaron Kiviharu, Constant Hellenius, Ivan Demidov, the, a lot of the top 10 guys for this next draft class aren't even at this tournament this year. So just kind of the way it worked out with a lot of kids gone to the U, U20 level or in Demidov's case, Russia obviously not participating internationally right now. But it, it's been a bit of a wacky tournament because of uh, the lack of talent and just kind of the lack of chemistry with a lot of these teams. You mentioned some of the names that aren't at the tournament. Of course, Noah Iserman as well with the National Team Development Program, the U.S. sending a more USHL-ish team. I'm just curious, who's caught your attention? You mentioned all the top 10 names that aren't necessarily there. Who's caught your attention so far in this tournament where you're like, ooh, I'm going to file this performance away in the back of my mind? Well, I think the one guy that stands out on Canada is Berkeley Cat, and the kids, who's a guy I expected to be the best player on Canada outside of Michael Misa, and he's been exactly that. He plays such a pro-style game, just understands how to get the puck off the ice and scored some big moments. I think he his pivotal 3-1 goal, really, or 3-2 goal, sorry, put Canada ahead the other day, and it allowed them to open the game up and kind of blow blow them out. It, he's been fantastic. He's a, he's a really, really good player. Michael Misa, obviously, exceptional status player. He doesn't get the love that a lot of the other exceptional status kids got because he was injured for part of the year last year. But on a rate basis, he scored at a higher rate than anybody in the OHL that's been an exceptional status player, including McDavid, including Tavares. It, it was really special what he did last year, but because the raw point total wasn't quite up there like we expected it to be, it was kind of a question mark for him, and he hasn't gotten the love he deserved. On the U.S. team, Trevor Connolly's been absolutely fantastic. The kid's been the catalyst for that U.S. team. I think Max Swanson's been really good as well. On some of the other teams, Thomas Suonemi on Finland's been absolutely fantastic, leading the tournament in scoring, uh, tied with um, Michael Misa as well. There's been a few guys that have stood out, but overall it's really just kind of been who's standing out in this game because it really has been a game-to-game basis on, on who's been good and who's been bad. What's been your impression of Canadian defenseman Sam Dickinson? He's a guy that... If things fall together correctly, he could be one of those defensemen vying for uh, being the first blue liner off the board next June. Yeah, I think with Dickinson, we looked at last year's draft, and there wasn't really a guy that stood out as a, a possible number one defenseman. And with Dickinson, he's one of a few guys in this draft class who could be that. And the way he's kind of manipulated guys at this term and his ability to break the puck out and control the pace of play and just do so many things that you want from a defenseman, both offensively and defensively. He's been fantastic. My opinion, the best defenseman at the tournament. He he understands how to take the puck from the defensive end to the offensive end and really just get guys in good position to score. He, he's never really in a panic. Even in the game where Canada did get, did get blown out and he was a minus three, he still had a lot of moments where he looked really, really good. So he's definitely a guy I'll be watching that, that could be right in that range with Aaron Kiviharu from Finland for the top defenseman in this draft class. 
Chatting with Tony Ferrari here on Sportsnet today on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. 15-time Consumer's Choice Award winner at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast for pickup or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. Tony, I I noticed a lot in uh, specifically this draft, but a a whole lot of others as well, that when they're talking about some of the breakdowns and, oh, well, this player did this and showed this and did this, this tournament comes up a lot. Uh, how big of the, the entire scouting profile pie does the, the Holinka Gretzky take up? I think it should be a smaller one, to be completely honest. It, it gets brought up so much, especially basically a year later in June when we're 10 months away from the tournament. It's, it's always kind of funny when a guy's had a bit of a slow year and then all of a sudden at the draft you, you get, oh, but his Holinka. And it's like, okay, that was still five games, six, six games at most where he was really, really good. And yes, the tournament should be kind of used as a framework to build your entire scouting for the year off of. Um, but like I said, there's a lot of guys who aren't even here. So uh, the entire Russian contingent, a lot of the Finns aren't there. Um, it, it's a great tournament. It's, it's where you should build everything off of. I actually just wrote something about this on the Hockey News where you use it as this little framework. When you're building a puzzle, you kind of start with the outside edges, the corner pieces, and that's what the Hlinka is to me. You, you build that frame of the puzzle and then you fill it in throughout the year. And I think that's where the Hlinka should be done. A lot of people like to take a, a, a big stock in this tournament, similar to the world juniors, any high profile tournament, really, you're just going to get these massive wild statements. And, and sometimes they work out because a lot of times the best players are still the best players at these tournaments. Tony, just curious, how do you compare with the world under 18 championship, which happens in the spring? Holinka is sort of the kickoff. And a lot of times the U18 is the final chapter, if you will, before the NHL draft, sort of the bookend. How do you compare what you see at the Holinka as a sample size versus what you see at the U18 as a sample size? Well, for the, for the European teams and everything, I kind of treat them similarly. They're a six, seven, eight game sample at most. And you treat that like any other six, seven, eight game sample throughout the year. Obviously you look for things like just different trends that the player does um, throughout the year. Does he carry this over from his club team to the international team? How does he look playing with much better players? How does he look playing with worse players in a reduced role on a fourth line rather than on a first line, like he is on his club team. There's a lot of things to look at. The, the big thing with the Helenka versus the U18s for me is I look at the Helenka as Canada's tournament. Where are we getting all the Canadian kids? Cause this is the tournament where the USNTDP isn't there. So, and, and all the Canadian kids for the most part are so, we, we get to see all the best Canadians for the, for the most part at the Helenka. At the U18s, we get that U.S. under-18 team from Plymouth out there, full team. They've had a year to prepare. They go into that tournament, and they're very, very good every year. They don't win it, but they usually have a pretty dominant performance uh, year after year, no matter who's on the team. So I kind of look at them as this is the tournament that Canada is going to be really, really good in. And then in the spring, that's where the U.S. is going to be good everyone else is kind of bringing similar teams for the most part. So you're able to get a gauge for how much has this guy progressed throughout the year? How much has this guy uh, made any strides in his game? Has he improved his skating? If that was a concern in the summer, has he improved just kind of the way he's shooting or passing or getting his shots? It's really interesting to kind of see, especially for the Finlands, the Sweden, the Swiss, see the development, but for Canada and the U S it's really hard because they do bring usually two completely different teams. So what you're saying is on August 3rd, I shouldn't elevate a Holinka standout over Iserman or Celebrini just because a five game sample, they exploded. No, you definitely should put Thomas to at the top of their draft <laughs> board above everybody because he's outscored everyone at the Holinka. He's been fantastic. And 
that's what you got to do. The hot takes are, are nice and hot right on August 3rd. Can just, we get that as the social breakout, please? Yeah, Thank you. can't yeah. wait. Um, yeah. <laughs> just curious, uh, maybe you can peel back the curtain a little bit. Do you have a top five or a top ten rolling right now? Uh, it's not really set in stone, but I, I think Celebrini, Demidov, Eiserman, um, Arun Kivihari is right in there. Berkeley Catton's probably mm-hmm. number five. Um, but the top four, I think, are pretty interchangeable at this point. Um, Demidov and Celebrini, I think, are probably my two that are ahead. Uh, Iserman's right there as well, but I do think he's a little bit behind, even though he, he does have that really, really enticing shot. I watched him live in Plymouth uh, on the weekend. I'll be back there tomorrow and seeing him again live and in person. And he, he really can just pull you in with that shooting ability, the scoring ability. It, it's pretty, pretty unreal. I, on uh, Saturday when I was in Plymouth watching him, he took a one-timer. He didn't get all of it, but man, he still scored. He was still absolutely fantastic. And, he, he has all of the ability to be the number one pick. But Celebrini is special, too. I think Demidov is absolutely the most dynamic player in this draft class right now. It's going to be really interesting to see kind of how this breaks out because there is no Connor Bedard or a guy that's secured the number one spot. It's kind of a group of three or four guys right now. Given the, the timing of this tournament, um, are there traits or characteristics from a player that, that you can look for maybe a bit more in this tournament or some that you kind of ignore given the, the time of it that you would focus on a little bit later on in the season? Uh, I think just the raw tools. I think you look at the skating, the shooting ability, the passing ability, how Chris is a guy kind of moving the puck up ice. I think you're, you're, the skating is something that these guys at, the, at this point in, in time are doing all year. We don't have hockey players who aren't skating into June, July anymore. Guys are on the ice throughout, from 12 months a year. So the, the skating is always what I like to see at this tournament. In, in the shooting ability as well, guys love being in the shooting room. They love shooting pucks in the driveway. They're never going to stop doing that. So seeing that kind of come to fruition and come to come to this tournament is always really fun. Sometimes you see some some sloppy passing. Sometimes you see some just iffy kind of decisions and whatnot. But for the most part, it's it's the raw tools, the stuff that you can measure in a one-on-one drill or a, a, a single test, and and that's the kind of stuff I like seeing. And but I mean these these Swedish teams, these Finnish teams, these guys have been playing together for. 30 games a year for the last five years really so it's always really interesting seeing them go up against a team like Canada or the U.S. who don't have that same kind of cohesive unit playing together for years on end. Continuing our chat here with Tony Ferrari on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline uh, switching our focus to the Calgary Flames and their prospects coming off of a season not exactly renowned for how well the Flames treated their prospects at the NHL level. Uh, one name that, that kind of got people very excited, uh, especially toward the, the tail end of the year when he was actually coming in, was Matthew Coronado. Uh, now that we're going to potentially have a, a full season with, with this, uh, what appears to be one of the top prospects in the system, what would you expect for him coming into a, a full campaign in the NHL or in pro hockey anyway? I think he's going to be really good. I, I think he's going to earn an NHL spot. I think he should play in the top nine. He's a versatile player. He's going to get the, he's not the prettiest skater, but he's an effective skater. He moves really well. And I think that's something he, he he's grown over his time at Harvard. I think that's a big thing for him. He's got a great shot, really good passing ability. His offensive instincts are impressive. And, and he, when he doesn't always play this way, but when he kind of gets a thorn in his side, he's really kind of one of those guys that get in there plays like a bulldog does a lot of things really well off the puck as well and i'd like to see that kind of develop and become more of a consistent threat because his offensive game certainly isn't a question it's just going to be about how high the ceiling is there i I think he's going to settle right into the middle six this year kind of 
find a find a role for himself and, and be an asset on the power play as well. Tony, you just dropped your Flames prospect pool overview a couple of weeks ago on the Hockey News, and I know stylistically they're different, timeline they're different. I'm just wondering where you would rank and compare and contrast Sam Honzik compared to Coronado. I think they're similar players in, in terms of what their overall kind of outlook is. I think they're both guys that can play on the top line if you really, really push them to be, and if they find the right mix chemistry-wise, but they're probably going to settle into a second-line scoring role. I think Honzik... He, he has a little bit more of, of a greater raw tool set. The skating ability is really impressive at times. I, I think that's kind of what's going to differentiate him. But I wouldn't be shocked to kind of see them form a second line together and, and be this really dynamic duo. I think uh, with um, Coronado, he is a little bit undersized. So getting a guy like Hansik in there who has the size, it kind of offsets that a little bit. And I know it doesn't always work out perfectly when you put a big guy with a little guy, but their skill sets kind of match up. Hansik is a really good puck distributor. When he's on his game, there, there are very few players drafted in his range that kind of compare because he really did have this ability to kind of just take over a shift or take over a couple shifts in a game. And I think that was really what enticed the Flames. And that, that's what rose him up the boards. There were other times where he would disappear. And I think him and Coronado kind of working off of each other as a playmaker and scorer would work really well. So I think they kind of have similar ceilings, different style of players, but they're, they're, they're kind of guys that I could see playing together in the future. You touched on it with uh, Hansik. I'm just curious what you made of Calgary's draft hall as a whole in 2023 with he, Moran, Siniev, and so on and so forth. It was an interesting draft hall. I think it w- there were certainly teams that drafted worse. Uh, there was a few teams that had questionable drafts, to say the least. And I think everyone that, that Calgary got was kind of in the range that you were expecting them to go, roughly. I think Moran was a really good pick. I think he's a really fun defenseman. That has a lot of skill and skating ability, so that's going to be a really good pick. Suni has a great swing. I think he's a guy that has a lot of potential, but some teams were kind of scared because he is this kind of lunking skater. He didn't have the cleanest stride, wasn't always the fastest to and from pucks, but his offensive tools are really, really good. So I think they, they did well with the, the picks that they had. It wasn't the most plentiful haul of picks for them, but they, they did a good job of kind of supplementing their prospect pool going forward. It seems like when um, people do a, a breakdown of the, the Flames prospect pool, what you guys were discussing there with Coronado and Hansa, where it's like, yeah, pretty good, could fall into a middle six role. It feels like that comes up a lot, or uh, it could be second, third pairing defensemen. It, it feels like the Flames have a lot of could be middle six, could be second pair defensemen. Do you see a, a couple players in the, the Flames uh, prospect pool currently that could break into those top line, top minute type of uh, roles for this team? I'm going to cheat a little bit and say Dustin Wolf, even though he's not one of those guys that are going to play on the top six yeah. or play on the top pair. Um, he's a guy that can be that true number one defense and be that high impact guy. The, the, the Flames don't have a, a 1A prospect, I don't think, but Dustin Wolf is the closest thing to that. And what he's done at both the junior level and now the AHL level, it's been absolutely fantastic. He's so, so good in that. He, he's not the biggest guy, but he moves so well. He's so economical with his movements, and I think that's what makes him so good. He's very crisp in his stride, integrating in and off the post. He's excellent. And, and the big thing that I, I find with goalies, especially smaller goalies, is he's such an excellent puck tracker. He knows where the puck is at all times. He's never in a panic, and I think that's what makes him successful because the technical side is really good, and you see a lot of goalies with really good technical sides of their game. But his ability to track the puck and come in and out of his his technique to make saves and be a, a really good kind of puck stopper, 
that's what's become so so valuable for him. So I think he's the guy that's kind of at the head of the class right now. But like you said, the Flames don't really have that number one guy. They don't have the superstar in their pipeline. And, and I think that's something that they're going to try to get over the next few years, especially if they tear this down a little bit more. In doing your Flames prospect pool overview on the hockey news, were there any players, any sneaky under-the-radar types that you've taken a liking to that might not have on paper the highest you know, potential or their long shot, but there's someone you've kind of watched and seen and went, I'm very curious to see how this unfolds for them. Well, I, I think the big thing is, like a guy like Jacob Pelletier, is he an under-the-radar guy? Is he a guy that doesn't get the love that he deserves? Because he's a guy that got so maligned last year by the coach. And I mean, there was that when he made his debut and Sutter was like, Oh, what number is he? Like we know he knows what number he is. And I think he's going to have a really good year. And I think some fans have kind of fallen out of love with him and he is undersized, but he's so skilled. He's so good. I think a guy like Connor Zari is a really good player as well. A really, again, not a top end guy, but a guy that can play in the middle six can play the, the center position, had a pretty solid year for the, for the HL flames last year. I think he's a guy that can kind of get there going uh, as well. So, uh, and then one of the, one of the players I think they drafted this year, that was a really sneaky pick was Jaden Lipinski. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Every time I watched him, he's not a guy that I go, man, he's going to score the lights out, but he's a guy that I, I look at and I'm like, he's going to play an energy role. He's going to be a fan favorite. He's going to do a lot of things at a very good level, nothing at a great level, but you're getting a really good player in him. Looking at the the Flames for next season, it, it appears that there is going to be a more concentrated effort to bring in a, a few more young players into the, the starting lineup. Uh, we, we've already touched on a, a few that I, I think probably would work in this conversation, but who do you see from the, the Flames that could make uh, a logical next step in the, a graduation from the AHL to the NHL next year? I think Coronado and Pelletier are going to be there. I think those two are the ones that make the most sense just based on timelines. I think their skill sets kind of work with who the Flames have right now. You could find them on a second line, on a, on a third line, and, and it would make a lot of sense for them to have good, solid rookie seasons with, the, with those two in the NHL. I think, I mean, we're one injury away from getting Dustin Wolf in there, and I think once he really gets in there for an extended period of time, you're not going to be able to take him out. So it's going to force the Flames' hand in moving a goalie, I think. And I think that's going to be a really interesting thing. So I think those three for sure. And then you have all the guys in the AHL that have been kind of festering under the, the surface for so long that are, you're just kind of waiting to see who, who's going to take a bottom six role and, and not give it back. We've talked about a lot of names, Tony. I'm just wondering if you could uh, shed some light on from your perspective. What do you see as a strength of the pool and a weakness of the pool as we talk about the entire collection of Flames prospects? Well, it's really interesting because the strength of the pool, in my opinion, it's kind of that they have a lot of different playing styles. They have a lot of wingers that can kind of do a lot of different things. And, and that's, that's really nice because you do have so many different guys on the wing. that can kind of come in and fill different roles. You have a guy like William Stromgren, who's down the lineup and, and could be this really nice skilled bottom six player that has size and, and, yeah, there's some effort issues at times with him, but very, very good player. I think a guy like Cole Schwint could work his way into the lineup eventually and be a, an excellent bottom six energy guy, a guy that has had success moderately at every level. And he's a guy that I know coaches have loved at every level that he's played at. So I think that's kind of a, a really nice thing is they have depth on the wings and they have in a variety of playing styles. As for a weakness, I think the big thing is that they don't really have a ton of defensemen that are really going to, 
come in and, and make a big difference, especially on the right side. They have Jake Boltman, who's a fine defenseman, but he's not a guy that's going to come in and be a true impact player. It's really going to come down to can they find these young right-handed defensemen or are they going to have to continue going to free agency and trades to get them? Uh, Tony, thanks for taking so much time today. Re- really, really appreciate it. Uh, where can fi- uh, people find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on social media at the Tony Ferrari. I'm whatever social media platform you're on now. I'm at the Tony Ferrari, and you can find me there on Twitter. Uh, and then find all my work at the Hockey News. Just search my name or something's coming up every day right now for the Palinka or the Prospect Pool reviews. Tony, is it Twitter or X? Ah, uh, it's Twitter until uh, the day I die. I, I just don't want to be able to call it a, a tweet or a zeet or whatever we're going to end up calling them. It, it's funny to see the retweets be called reposts now, though. I, I will say that. Oh, what a giant hellscape. Uh, Tony, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime, guys. Cheers. That is Tony Ferrari from the Hockey News joining us on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. Um, yeah, it feels like youth is going to be at least a part of what we see from the Flames next year. And I think there are some names that people could get excited about. Well, there should be. And, and Tony mentioned Coronado. I think he has a legit shot. He's getting... Let's assume Elias Lindholm is still a member of the Calgary Flames when training camp rolls around. Okay. And we'll probably maybe, I don't know, huh, talk about that soon. <laughs> um, they've got three right shot forwards. If you include Coronado. Oh, Coronado, Dewar, Lindholm. So hmm. by nature of just shooting right, I don't know. That might give him a leg up. We mentioned Pelche. I don't know if Walker Dewar necessarily counts as a prospect anymore. He's, he's on the so. older side of prospect, but yeah. he'll be some a fresh injection into the lineup. Yeah. And then I'm curious to see what happens. If there are some vacancies, if there are some moves made, does that open the door for Connor Zarid? Um, what kind of camp does Cole Schwinn have to have to put himself on the radar, so on and so forth? We've heard the we've heard the team pledge that there's going to be opportunity for youth. It's not just going to be oh we're going to we're going to block off four spots and if you're 23 or under you get one of them. Right. You can still have to earn it, but there is that opportunity this season for Calgary Flames prospects that probably weren't available last year. That probably definitely weren't available last year. Uh, I think training camps going to be really interesting. For, for all of these things, again, depending on the direction of the next month or so. Uh, the Atlas Pizza guest hotline does not get a very lengthy break as we are going to take a commercial break. And when we come back, uh, we'll be joined by Julian McKenzie from The Athletic, among several other ventures, uh, talking about trading some big names on the Calgary Flames and where those destinations might be. So stay tuned for that. This is Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today with Aaron Vickers and Peter Klein on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. That's right. We have our own intro and everything. Uh, It is Sportsnet Today. I'm Peter Klein. He is Aaron Vickers as we continue with the Calgary Flames conversation. Uh, If you've missed any part of today's show, first of all, you've missed out. Uh, But second of all, you can get it up on podcast. Uh, The first hour should be up any time now, I'm assuming. Logan says Cam's bad at his job. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, we'll... You haven't we'll seen him do his job? <laughs> oh. I like how you turned that around. I was trying to be kind of nice to the guy, but you just like, bam! Uh, I work in the shadows. <laughs> That's creepy. We don't want to see you. Uh, so yeah, podcast is available very shortly. You can also get in on the conversation by texting 960 
1-800-636-9960. Very happy to be joined uh, down the Atlas Pizza guest hotline one more time by Julian McKenzie from The Athletic and several other ventures uh, coming off of a piece with uh, he and NHL insider extraordinaire Shana Goldman. Uh, uh, Elias Lindholm, Trade Destinations, the Boston Bruins, and five other possibilities. We'll be getting into a lot of that. But uh, Julian, how are you today, sir? Doing very well yourselves. Good to hear your voices. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm doing well, thank you very much. Um, just filling some time in the uh, the, the NHL offseason with uh, some Flames trade speculation. So really, thank you very much for this. <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess we're at that point where uh, anything that we write about the Calgary Flames, whether speculative or not, it's going to drive some kind of conversation. Everyone's antsy for trades. Everyone's antsy for trades. And join the conversation on the text line 96960 because, Julian, I'm not going to give away all six destinations, but Toronto? <laughs> really? How are you going to do that with okay. Brad for living over there? Yeah, I, I, I think with that one, we may have just... I, I think... Uh, here's the thing about Toronto in this situation. I think the natural link between Craig Conroy and Brad for living, they're automatically going to be a possibility in almost any situation involving whether it's Elias Lindholm, whether it's Noah Hannafin, whether it ends up being any of the other pending UFAs that they have. There's no way you can't consider the possibility that Craig Conroy and, Bad and Bradshaw Living can't get together on something. Like, even if it gets down to, like, Chris Tana or someone else further down that list. Like, I don't – like, GMs make trades with people who they're familiar with. They can make trades with guys who are who they are less familiar with. But you mean it, and, and Brad Trilliman, you guys know this more than anybody. Like, he likes to get in on everything. So you mean to tell me that there's no possibility, nowhere in the realm of possibility, that Craig Conroy and Brad Trilliman can't come together on something? I mean, come on. Hey, I'm not going to say never because, and this will rile up the text line, if Wayne Gretzky can get traded, <laughs> then surely anybody Elias can Lindholm can go to the Toronto, right? Anybody could get traded. Anybody could get moved. You already know what it is. Now, what's your take on the flip side of that argument where they know each other so well, they might not want to deal with each other? I mean, like, I, I why? Like, I, I would. Yeah, I you would don't want to get one over on the other guy. You don't want to be. You want to be taken out to the. You don't want to be taken to the cleaners by the other guy. Yeah, but you want to win a Stanley Cup. Like, I don't get it. Like, Brad True Living took the job in Toronto because he wants an opportunity to win the cup. Craig, Craig Conroy took a job as GM in Calgary because he wants to be a GM. And his goal, just like almost everyone else's goal, and I get it, there are some teams that don't do as well, and it takes them longer to get there. Their goal is to win a cup. I, I, I think they would have they have a tremendous amount of respect and love and admiration for one another. But if they're going to stop themselves because, oh, no, I don't want to get one up on you, uh, I don't know about that. You got to be able to make those tricks. They know each other's tricks. Okay. I'm just Maybe messing Craig with Conner you. Will be averse to that. No, I know. I know. But I also think it's worthwhile to have that conversation. Like, I, I think like, if, could you imagine if like a William Nylander trade like falls through because Brad Trilliving's like, ah, I don't want to get a one up on you. Or Craig Connor's like, ah, I was kind of scared. Like, I don't know, man. Like what? Uh, th moving on from the, the Toronto discussion. Again, we're not going to give away every team on this, but um, did you just have so much fun trying to trade Elias Lindholm to Columbus the first time that you just thought you'd roll it back another time? I did not have fun. <laughs> Here's the thing. I did not. I, I did not say that they should trade him to Columbus. Uh, this all happened because uh, my, my great colleague in Columbus uh -oh. here in Portsline suggested that it could be possible, but it wasn't something that we took 
that seriously at that time. Uh, the fact that any team would want to trade uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets having that third overall pick, it was like, really? Like, considering how stacked the draft class is supposed to be, do you really want to make that move? Do you really feel that you're an Elias Lindholm away from being a playoff team? Mind you, that was before they hired Mike Babcock, before they got Ivan Provorov and made these moves that at least on the surface you say, okay, they're trying to make the playoffs. Maybe you could go one step further and say, okay, Jarmo Kekalainen is trying to, to save his job. So now if they're in the situ- with the situation that they're in, adding Columbus to that possibility, I-, I guess I could understand it a little bit more. But again, it was more speculation. It's more identifying situations that could make sense. Obviously, there's the Johnny Gaudreau link there as well. Uh, that's ultimately what that piece was supposed to be about. Like we, we did that for Noah Hannafin. We did that for Tyler Toffoli. Um, and I think with, with, with Elias Lindholm as well, we had that piece where we looked at what contract he could sign if the team keeps him. It was just natural that we go the other way and, and debate about which places make sense for him. Don't forget about Eric Branson and all this, bud. <laughs> he's there that's too. That's very fair too, yes. Yeah. He is there. Of all the players on that team, he's definitely one of them. <laughs> He, 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 hey, he, he, when the team, when the Blue Jackets were going through that injury bug that tore through them and they looked like the Cleveland Monsters more than anything, he was still there. He got some games in. He was still there. The Eric Goodbranson story. <laughs> uh, when, we, when, when looking at this, when looking at this trade, um, and obviously, like, d- different teams could offer different things. Um, what direction do you think that the Flames would like to go in with, with an Elias Lindholm trade? Would it be getting guys who can help out right now, or would it be more like the uh, potential Columbus one from uh, way back when, where it's more picks and prospects oriented? I that's a really good question. Um, I would think I, I, <laughs> for sure. He that's just got up and left. Get- <laughs> His day is done. He's been waiting an hour and 40 minutes to be told that was a good question. He mic dropped and walked out of the room. Dude, Peter Klein, you are you are incredible. I hope you send uh I hope you're sending Adam Wild some tape because uh he de- he needs to hear this. Um I I think if you're Craig Conroy and you find yourself in a position where you have to offload Elias Lindholm you're getting young players who are close to contributing to the into your lineup if they're not already ready to do that. You're getting draft picks in that scenario. If the goal is to get young players and to infuse your core with young players while also more or less rebuilding on the fly here, I know they haven't full-on said that that's what they're going to do if Elias Lindholm has to go, but when you have Jonathan Huberto locked up to that long-term deal, Jacob Markstrom on that NMC, Azam Kadri, a whole bunch of other guys signed long-term, I'm sorry, this team is not in a position to rebuild immediately. So if you are the Flames, you're looking for young players who can help you right now. And I also think you need to get draft picks in this as well. Of course, in Elias Lindholm's case, the contract extension means everything. If you are able to find a trade partner, and Lindholm says he's willing to sign a long-term extension with that team, that opens the door for more possibilities. If he's non-committal to that, you're finding yourself in a situation where maybe a team might only be willing to give you like a second rounder and a prospect, as an example, as opposed to him committing to an extension, and it might be like a first-round pick, another prospect, and maybe a roster player. Like I I, I think for, for Elias Lindholm, of all the pieces that they have, if they're forced to move on from him, that is the player you need to get the 
best possible return because that could ultimately shape how your team looks over the next three, maybe four years. So I'm going to ask you about this team, and it's not a spoiler because you put them right in the headline. So I feel like I got carte blanche here to ask you about it. Let's go hypothetical here, and let's say that he does come with an extension. How do the Boston Bruins fit in all this? What what did you see in the Boston Bruins and matching them up? I get the obvious, oh, they don't have Patrice Bergeron anymore, so they're looking for anything but Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle down the middle as one, too. But they also don't have much in the prospect pool, and they are devoid of picks. So what did you see in Boston to match these two teams up? Well, here's the thing. The fact that Patrice Bergeron is retired and David Krejci is futures up in the air, obviously, when you see those openings, you think, okay, does Elias Lindholm make sense? And on the surface, he does. He would be their number one center. He would help them, you know, in their status as he would help them in maintaining their status as a playoff team. But just for the mention, just for the reasons you just mentioned, we mentioned that in the piece as well. They don't have draft picks. They're missing their first three draft picks for next year's draft class. In terms of their prospect pool, the Athletic ranked it 30th among 32 teams earlier this year. In terms of roster players uh, that the Bruins would be willing to give up, is Brad Marchand coming the other way in that deal? I'd be stunned if that was happening. I don't think you're getting a, a Dave, uh, David back in that deal. Charlie McAvoy, I don't think so. So those are three. Those are three big names for the Boston Bruins. So if you're not getting those players in that trade, and I'm not suggesting that they. Sh- if I'm not suggesting that's possible to get this, I'm just explaining my case here. What are you getting in a deal for 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 Elias Leno for the Boston Bruins, especially if you're not getting picks who could help you right away? Uh, Jake DeBrusque, that's not enough, I don't think. Like, who else on that lineup is is there? The point of pretty much the 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 point of that piece, ultimately, at least for me, and I know Shana was really helpful in in, in providing some other teams that could help as well. But I just wanted to kind of paint the picture of what potential a, a trade could look like with the Boston Bruins, but also explaining that it might not necessarily work. It, it might not have the most enticing pieces. It's just, it was kind of funny to see some Bruins fans get a little bit excited about that, but I don't know. I feel like if Elias Lindholm was to be shopped, Columbus or some, some other team would be able to provide a, a much better, much more pleasing trade offer for Craig Conrad. Because again, this is not a player you can offload for a, a for for a poor return, let's be real. And I think the Boston Bruins, unless they got super creative, unless they were willing to put in a really big player in their in in their in their trade package, I don't see them as a top suitor for Lindholm. I don't see it. I can see a big player being included. What would be your thoughts on Milan Lucic coming back to Calgary in that trade? Well, he's big in size, so I guess I see where you're getting. You at didn't here. specify, but no. Yeah, you're right. I didn't specify. You're just you're just being a smartass for no reason, Aaron. <laughs> I resemble that <laughs> remark. <laughs> All right, that's the, that's the social breakout for this one now. Um, looking at this, and I I've brought this up with everyone, and no one's agree with me yet. So I'm hoping you're similarly on the same page as me. I'm surprised that we are at August third, and we only have a Tyler Toffoli trade and depth free agent signings from the the Flames so far. Um, are you surprised that? Maybe not all of them, but but it's taken this long on Lindholm, Hannafin, Backlund, etc. Are you surprised that this whole process with all of them has taken us into August? Yeah, I'm very surprised. Thank you. I, like Tyler Toffoli's. Well, but, but here's here's the thing. Like, I, I I'm very surprised at the fact that of all of those players, uh, only Tyler Toffoli and Tyler Toffoli wanted to stay. He just wanted something in short order, and the team was just like, you know what? Maybe it's best we move on. 
So I'm surprised that this team that openly said they did not want to start next season with all these pending UFAs on the roster is in this situation. But I, when you include the fact that Craig Conroy doesn't want to get lowballed on these offers, that makes sense to me in some way. But I also think something's going to have to give with at least some of these pieces. Like, I'd be surprised if, like, Noah Hannafin was still around. Lindholm and Backlund, and maybe you guys could tell me if I'm wrong, it would not surprise me if those two players specifically started the year with the team. Because I, I, I think that Craig Conroy... Uh, he made it clear how much Lindholm means to the organization. I think he wants to do everything he can to keep him on the team. And if this team is able to show that they're able to be a contender, maybe that gets him to change his mind. Or we can't even say change his mind. I know Frank Cervalli got everyone up in arms and it was like, oh, no, he's going to leave. But there are some other people, Chris Johnston notably, who are saying, you know what? He hasn't completely closed that door. We don't really have a good sense of what Elias Lindholm wants. And that's something we have to keep in mind when we discuss his situation. So we don't know if he's leaning towards leaving or towards staying or not. But if he stays to start the year and the team does well, maybe the team looks at that and says, hey, maybe that's enough to get him to sign. And then that gets into a whole other discussion with Michael Backlund. This is a player who has played over 900 games for this franchise. And is and yes, he wants to play for a cup contending team. I can also understand that this team would want to do right by Michael Backlund. And they would want to take their time and they would not want to just offload him for peanuts or just kind of rashly make a bad decision with him. They would want to do everything they can. So I, I could also understand why they'd keep him. Noah Hannafin, I, it's, it's out there that he wants to play in the United States. Uh, I know at least on defense, the, the core I think is still going to be good, even if they don't have Hannafin in the lineup. I'm still very curious if once the Eric Carlson sweepstakes come to an end, if they come to some kind of resolution, if teams don't see him as a consolation prize. Uh, so I, I, I wonder what his situation will look like entering training camp. I very much appreciate you making me sound like a genius because I said just the same earlier in our discussions. I also agree with you on the fact that Michael Backlund, you're not necessarily worried about going into the season with him. He's a guy that, for me, his value is just as equal today as it is at the 2024 trade deadline. And let me ask you this, though, because you did bring up an interesting point. I don't think I would hesitate to have Elias Lindholm on my roster heading into the season. And you're right, if they can prove to be a competitive team, maybe that tips the scales a little bit in your favor for resigning him. But can you go into the trade deadline in a situation where you're having success as a team and he still hasn't given you an answer, risking the Johnny Goudreau situation the last minute. All right, you know what? I'm actually not going to resign here. Can you do that with Elias Lindholm after everything Craig Conroy said? Or if you bring him into season, do you have to have like a, a January 1 deadline for him to make up his mind so you know how to proceed? Man, I I feel like this scenario kind of puts them in that situation. And especially if they play really well, what do you do? Do you say like say like the Flames are are comfortably in a playoff position come trade deadline day? Do you trade Elias Lindholm? Do you tear everything down? Do you just say okay, well you know what, uh, they overachieved, so now it's the best time to offload everything. I get a lot of people would jump at that, but considering the core, like I, I don't know, like you, you give up on that. That's a tough, tough thing to to do, and it is a very big risk. I I I kind of I don't I I don't I'm not a fan of putting. If I'm Craig Conroy, I'm really not a fan of putting my team in that situation. But because of the fact that he's still on this team and you haven't extended him, you've sort of entered that 
you've you've entered that that timeline. This is the scenario where like Doctor Strange is in that fight in in Infinity War. It's like there's the one way you've you've entered the end game now. This is basically what I think this is. Unless you come up with some solution before training camp, or you've made some decision on, or he's made some decision. I don't know. Like I, I think you, I think barring anything that changes, you've entered that situation where you're likely going to have to risk losing him for nothing. I, I think the Flames have put themselves in that position. I could be totally wrong, and I'd be okay with being wrong. It happens, but like, I think I think we might see that. I really think we're going to see that. The Avengers reference is nice because it feels like Daryl came in, snapped his fingers, and half the roster is going to be gone. Uh, with this oh. Flames team, <laughs> with, with this Flames team, the, the one thing I keep coming back to, because I've thought about that too, is like, I have said before, if you happen to bring these guys back, for lack of a better term, the vibes are better because they can't be worse. Like, do you give it a run? But we've done this, and I get different players, but we've done this so many times before with, hey, look, you're not going to trade them at their lowest value, and then Johnny and Winger X come in and everything looks fine. Oh, well, you can't trade them now. Look how hot they are. What would you have to see from some of the players who we didn't see it from last year to, to believe that a change would be actually sustainable and not just a, a good few months, if, if that makes sense? Um, just sustaining that success, I guess. I mean, they made the changes in the coaching staff, uh, getting rid of Daryl, promoting Ryan Huska, adding Mark Savard. And I, while I'm not so worried about the defense, it's that offense that has to change. Uh, and they made changes with the offense in mind. You heard it during the press conference. Jonathan Huberto was calling Craig Conroy about different coaching candidates. Like, this was done with him in mind. And if he doesn't get up to speed and he's not playing at a high level, Andrew Majipane, who just had shoulder surgery and should be healthy come training camp time, like, if those guys don't get themselves going, then if you're one of those pending UFAs, then you're starting to get nervous and you're thinking, eh, I don't know if this is this is enough. But you're going to see it in the results. Jacob Barkstrom, too. Jacob Barkstrom's a big key in all of this. The defense, I think, did well enough. He did not play well enough. And he has to play at the top game. Basically, you're asking for all of those players who underwhelmed, not necessarily to have career seasons, but you're asking for them to play well and if play at that high, high enough of a level and really give it a run. And then I think some of those guys, they might change their mind. But at the end of the day, like it, you still have to play through that year. I mean, the, the Flames went through the year that they went through in the final year of, of well, not in the, yeah, in the final year of Johnny's deal. And he still left it. I, 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 if I'm in a, if we're all in a perfect world, the Flames figure out what to do with Elias Lindholm, whether they sign him or trade him. But every passing day that that situation doesn't get resolved, they get closer to taking that risk that they really didn't want to take. And I don't, I don't know, unless something changes, I, I totally envision a situation where they play well enough. Uh, Cause I really don't think this team is that bad. It's just, they have to figure out how to beat Vegas and LA and Edmonton, but they could still be a wildcard team. It's just, I, I really don't think they're going to be as bad as last year. And if that's going to be the case, they're going to be in a very, very interesting spot. Maybe if this is a team that's comfortably in one of those divisional spots, it's a lot. Uh, it makes the job harder. If they're in, a, well, if they're fighting for a wild card spot, then I could see them offloading. But at the beat, but if they're better than that, that just makes it all the tougher. Julian, awesome as always, man. Thank you for doing this. Uh, where can people find you, sir? Uh, JKA McKenzie on Twitter, uh, and that's the only place I hang out. That's the only thing I have going on for me in my life. You didn't, uh, you didn't migrate over to one of the other fourteen. Uh, I mean, 
if you want to follow me on threads, I guess that's cool. It's blue sky or whatever. But I mean, Elon Musk's app, man. We all want to quit it, and it, it's still there. How else am I? I'll tell you what. Threads isn't giving me anything on the Lizzo news. At Twitter's done that. That's fair. And Instagram too. <laughs> uh, thanks, Julian. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Peace. All right. Have a good one. That is Julian McKenzie joining us on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. I, I think that scenario you brought up is going to be a very fascinating oh. one where this team is the first wildcard team in the West, but you have Hannafin, Lindholm, and Backlund on expiring contracts. Well, that was specifically what Craig Conroy said wasn't going to happen right. this year. You can't go in the same situation with Johnny Goudreau with these guys. I firmly believe that Noah Hannafin will be dealt before training camp. I don't necessarily know the timeline on Elias Lindholm. I'm 100% comfortable with Michael Backlund and to uh, the same degree, Chris Tanev being on my roster right up to the trade mm -hmm. deadline to the point where I need to make a decision on them. But man, if you enter the season with Elias Lindholm and things start clicking and the calendar flips from 2023 to 2024 and there's not an extension there, I'm getting a little squirrely, I won't lie. Yeah, and given how things have gone with this team, I'm probably making the move like i'm probably like yeah it's great playoff spot don't care and we're heading out but i don't have to answer to ownership about that so uh it's it's easier for me to say that uh this has been fun today sir thank you for this oh so much fun we'll do it again tomorrow yeah uh, a bit longer tomorrow uh, we don't have a, a pesky blue jays game getting in the way if you could even call that a game oh. uh but uh we have a lot of fun that we are working on for tomorrow, we're going to have uh, some Calgary Surge representation. That is confirmed. Uh, we're going to have some Stamps talk. Hoping to have some NFL conversation as well. But that is tomorrow. This has been the Sports Drive brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Ask how a restricted key system can keep your business safe even through employee turnover. Visit calgarylockandsafe.com. He's Aaron Vickers. I'm Peter Klein. And this has been Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.